Hi everyone and welcome back to another Parliamental. Anne, how are you? Hello, yes, I'm really good. Don't feel sorry for me. <laughs> Why would they feel sorry for you, Anne? What's happening? <laughs> What's happening with you? How, how are you doing? Uh, I've got a cold. No, I'm fine, actually. I've had a cold and a cough for the last two weeks, but it's, it's, it's kind of been dragging on, but I think I'm over it, more or less. I'll try not to sniff or cough in the course of this broadcast. Mental note, take a bleach wipe to the mic. A ble <laughs> when Anne's finished, bleach wipe to the mic. Yeah. Anyway, we've been away far too long, so let's get started the Parliamental. So we're not long after the SNP conference and... <laughs> cough, cough, cough. How, how was it? How, what do you think of the conference? Oh, I was shattered. It was really good, but um, it was a four-day thing for me because I went to the Qualities Conference the next day, which was really good. Um, yeah, it was great. A conference used to be absolutely brilliant because you hadn't seen lots of people for a year. Now we have like two conferences a year, so it's slightly different. Um, but it used to be, you know, much smaller, so you always bumped into your pals. You could say, I'll have a drink with you at that time, I'll have lunch with you at that time. Now it's just mad. It's, but it's great because there's so many people there and everyone was just so up for it and excited and the place was buzzing the whole time. Did you enjoy it? Yeah, I only managed to get along on the Saturday for, for one of the days and it was mental. Mm. Like within walking in, about five minutes walking in the SCCC, even when it was dead, you meet, you meet like 10, 15 people you know and everyone's looking really busy. I managed to get mm. my pass from Peter Murrow. So Aww. personal service to get my, my, my pass from him. Was well good. done, Peter, keeping yeah, he's doing the real work. Grassroots, he's out there, <laughs> he's out there making it happen. Um, but yeah, no, I, thought, I thought it was really good. Obviously, we kind of hanged about with people we know at the branch, and it was an amazing feeling, and, mm. and people were really engaged, and we got some, you know, some booze at conference. People were putting up motions that people didn't like, so it was, I felt really oh, energetic. I you meant booze day. as in alcohol. That was after post-conference, <laughs> when I managed to smuggle a pint of cider through three different hotels. Oh, and also, also... Proven SNP got people elected, so we got um, Ivan McKee was elected to SOAC, yes. the, the committee that decides what resolutions go on the agenda mm -hmm. for conference, and Joe Brady, our convener, our new convener, and Lorna Finn, our treasurer, both got elected to the disciplinary committee, yep. mm -hmm. which deals with uh, potentially naughty members. And I'm sure there's none of them out Zero, there. zero of them. And there was something else. Oh, yeah, well, Angus McLeod, so he's not a member of our branch, but he was my election agent and he works for me. And he got elected as national secretary, so it was pretty, pretty good. Yeah, it was funny to see Angus's phone basically burst into flames within like <laughs> half an hour of him being elected. Really? So he's just getting, he's like, I'm getting messages from everyone. Oh, God, I need to turn my phone on. <laughs> so yeah, Angus is going to be a very popular guy. Yeah. And Lorna and Joe are probably going to be unpopular as they dispense justice. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, interesting thing about, about SOAC and, and, and Ivan getting on that. So that's pretty good for the branch and that people, hopefully we get some resolutions on the SOAC. No pressure, Ivan. No pressure. Well, at least if we don't get resolutions on, Ivan can come back and tell us why we're not getting our <laughs> resolutions on. <laughs> but yeah, I thought, it was a, I thought it was a pretty good conference. You also gave a session on the, the trip to Cali yes. where, you, where, you, where you sort of witnessed what was going on with the migrants and stuff. So I attended that session. I thought it was pretty well attended. What was it like from your perspective? Yeah, great. I mean, I was surprised that we got so many people along because it was nine o'clock on the Saturday morning and conference doesn't start till 10. So you're always not sure with these things. Uh, I thought it went really well. It was we had I think we had eight speakers, but they all spoke for three minutes each. So that gave half an hour for people to ask questions. And I got a lot of really, really good feedback from it. So it was basically just the, the trip that we've spoken about before on this podcast to Cali. 
um, to the jungle uh, in Cali, and then there was the other camp in Dunkirk that we went to. And we on the panel, we had a psychologist who'd come with us, an academic who'd come with us, some MPs who'd come with us, somebody who arrived in this country as a refugee. So there were lots of different perspectives, and I think that's what worked well about the fringe meeting. Yeah, I really enjoyed that, the idea that, that what you're saying, there are people who've maybe come here as refugees and psychologists, so there's a lot of different perspective. It wasn't just one call to action that we should you know, donate mm. or, or go along. There was mm. a lot of kind of really reasoned talk and also an interesting talk about the kind of emotional toll it takes and people who volunteered there as well, which is an interesting perspective. Well, that was Anne Douglas, who's the psychologist who came with us. Anne Douglas set up Compass, which is the, you know, the support service for uh, refugees who've been through trauma. Um, and she came on the trip with us. And you're right, she was saying that this is the thing that she's taken away from the trip. Is, and she's actually set something up with other psychologists over here, uh, setting up support networks for the volunteers who go out there and then think they're going to be there for a couple of days, end up staying for months, um, and then find themselves unable to take a day off because they can't bear the guilt that they're staying in a nice place and they're leaving behind their friends um, who are still struggling in the camp and all they're doing is having a day off. So she that's what she's working on because, you know, the more uh, rested and well the volunteers are, the more effective they'll be and the, the more support they'll be to the refugees. Mm -hmm. I suppose it must be difficult to see self-care at a point when you see people who don't really have much. So yeah. everything, you must feel really guilty about yeah. indulging in something or something that you wouldn't see as an indulgence suddenly becomes one because of the, yeah. the contrast. Yeah. I know that uh, my wife went to... Uh, Callie very oh, briefly right. um, and she found it really emotionally difficult um, mm. she wrote a column on it for the National I mm. think that was her catharsis to talk about it and I think she even felt guilty about feeling guilty about it there was a whole, yeah, there was a whole yeah. rap about people feeling you know feeling real yeah. problems in life and I think your wife and I are probably soul twins actually because <laughs> yeah. that's the sort of thing over the years that I mean, I've, I've had to train myself to stop feeling guilty about feeling guilty you know mm -hmm. and feeling sad and feeling upset well why am I in tears because it's it's much worse for them than it is for me so stop, you know, it is, yeah. you beat yourself up about all sorts of things. Basically, you just have to do what you can do and offer the support that you can offer. Um, it's, it's a real struggle. But something, can I just actually mention something that I mentioned at the Fringe meeting? And that is the fabulous grassroots organisation called Refuigi, uh, which is obviously a Glaswegian, a Ouija mm -hmm. organisation. And um, basically what they do is they welcome refugees. They don't just welcome refugees who... Uh, come to Glasgow, they also um, support refugees in the camp in Cali. Basically, they have a letter writing campaign. So if anybody in Glasgow would like to write a letter, and you can or you do not have to include your contact details on it, just say a little bit about yourself, and it's to the refugees in the camp in Cali, and basically hand it into a Glasgow Oxfam shop, and it will be delivered and they're taking hundreds of them over and it's really making a difference. Now I've been there, as we said, and I did think that was the one thing, a letter writing thing, I would like it to see it as a two-way thing, but that's what they need to hear is that people on the outside are thinking about them, they've not been forgotten and that they care about them because that's not what they're feeling when they're in France. So anybody wants to write a letter, it can be as short or as long as you like, take it to an Oxfam shop in Glasgow and um, it'll be delivered and it'll be very much appreciated. Cool, I'll put a link to Refugee in the show notes as well oh, so people can, can see that. Now, it's been a long time since we've recorded and in that time a lot's changed including recently Theresa May said she's invoking Article 50 in the next few months. Mm. That's basically Brexit by 2019-ish. Mm. So um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fairly you know, very specific question, and do you think that's going to happen? I, I think it has to happen. I think if that's what people voted for, they don't 
I can't see a circumstance. And I mean, as MPs, we're getting letters from people saying, in actual fact, I think you'll find people voted on this, they didn't vote on that, and therefore you can recall this. I'm not sure. I don't know. Yeah, I do, I do think it'll happen. I think they have, they feel they have little choice other than to proceed. And uh, yeah, I think it'll happen. Uh, so it's March 2017 is when she's going to invoke Article 50. Do you think Parliament's at any point going to get a say on it? Um, because there's, I think that's again, I think the thrashing of people who don't want to leave, and I mean, I count myself amongst them. We don't, I don't want to leave Europe, mm. um, but I can understand the real frustration of people sort of grasping at straws. But do you think, do you, do you think the Parliament will have a say on it? Do you think there'll be a vote on it, or do you think it'll just happen? I think there will be votes around it. I don't think there is likely to be the opportunity to recall the decision. Uh, however they frame it, I don't think they're going to do that. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I think, as, again, as someone who don't, didn't want to leave Europe, I think that that vote has to stand for, for the UK, no matter how much you don't like it. It's kind mm -hmm. of, that's what happens to the plebiscite. Everything's kind of boiled down to... And it happens with every vote. You know, you, parties get voted in on uh, manifesto commitments that include all sorts of stuff that maybe people don't 100% subscribe to, but mm. it was boiled down to an in-or-out vote in Europe. And, and so whether people are now saying, like, oh, well, I didn't mean to vote on this or I didn't yeah. think it was about that, or people voted for immigration that might not be affected by it, the vote kind of stands and it's now a bit of a mess. But, um, yeah. yeah, I think when I hear people want a vote in Parliament, it would just cause a big problem, really, because there's been a public vote and whether we like it or not, it's kind of has to stand, really. Well, as well, I mean, if we were to support that, then we could not really have an argument against that happening in Scotland. So if we have a referendum again, when we have a referendum again, because mm. it will happen again at some point, on independence, and the people of Scotland vote for independence, and somebody says, well, actually, I think that should be brought back to Parliament and you should let the MSPs decide. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Do you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, we can We have to be quite consistent yeah. mm -hmm. about this. But I do think it's going to teach people, not people, I don't mean members of the public, teach politicians a bit of a lesson. Because there are a lot of politicians who who were pushing, like, like Boris Johnson, pushing the, the line to leave, which, as we have discovered uh, recently, as we all suspected, he wasn't that sure himself because he wrote two articles, the same paper, because he couldn't make up his mind mm. and it was only when he had to submit the article that he decided to submit the one that said we should leave. He wasn't that sure about leaving, but he was quite confident the people of Britain would not vote to leave. So it didn't really matter, but it must have just been about raising his profile. Mm. Um, and uh, and giving Europe a, a warning shot. Well, mm, that backfired. And now for people to say, well, people didn't know what they were voting on. Well, half the time people vote, they don't know what they're voting on. Because who, who, when you've got your job to do, you've got kids to look after, you've got your house to clean, you've maybe got other caring responsibilities. Who reads manifestos from top to bottom? Who reads everything? Who read our full white paper apart from us? <laughs> um, but you know, who reads, not many people read these things in detail. So don't put forward a proposition ever again unless you're certain that people are going to have the opportunity to really debate and discuss and get all the information they need, like they did with the Scottish referendum. Um, and don't put it forward on the basis that you know they're not going to vote for it. I mean, that's just ridiculous. So the politicians should learn from this, but... Mm. I mean, whether the performance of the white paper on independence aside, there was a white paper on independence. Um, mm. There wasn't the same level of kind of policy analysis about in or out 
in Europe. No, and so, it was so fast. And I mean, we argued down there that this, you know, you had to give longer, you had to take longer for people to really discuss the ins and outs of it. Um, but no, they wanted it over quickly because um, they knew best, as yeah. always. And now I think, I mean, my personal opinion is we've got a prime minister who didn't didn't want it and is mm. now having to make the best she can of it, which is yeah. to pretend that she's behind it 100%. Yeah. And talking about the prime minister, you had a question for the Prime Minister, the Prime Minister's questions recently, yeah. so you had a chance to throw one at her. So what was it you asked, Theresa Well, it had been her 60th birthday recently, right? So I thought I'll just take the opportunity to kind of compare her life to the lives of the women who are really struggling because of the state pension equalisation uh, plans that uh, they weren't given enough notice of. So I just basically said that, um, that she was not retiring as many women have traditionally done mm. when they're 60 and that it was her choice but she was taking that choice away from many of my constituents um, we've got a meeting on the whole WASPI issue that, that is, WASPI is the name of the campaign group Women Against State Pension Inequality a lot of women born uh, after April 1951 throughout the 50s who are having to work up to six years more than they thought they were having to work and who got almost no notice of this. They got told shortly before they turned 60. And um, so they've had no chance to plan. They're not against the equalisation of the retirement age, and neither am I, but they've had no chance to plan. And it, I have lots of women coming to, to my office about it. So basically, I've got a public meeting coming up on Saturday, the 29th of October. It is in NG Homes on Saracen Street in Postle Park. I've got Christine in my office who is volunteering one day a week and what she's focusing on, because this is how I met her, is organising this and the many, many women in Glasgow North East who are in the same situation. Mary Black, Mary Black, Mary Black, Mary Black <laughs> is coming uh, to speak at this meeting. So it's Saturday the 29th. It'll be on uh, my website and on Facebook and that, but Saturday the 29th. 12 o'clock till 2 at uh, NG Homes in Postle Park. But yeah, I asked the Prime Minister and she gave me a really bad answer that just wasn't true. Sorry, I wasn't expecting that really bad answer that wasn't true. I thought you were going to say <laughs> that she really nailed it. She gave you the answer you needed, but... Ah, well, uh, Teresa, ah, well. Uh, talking about government ministers, I saw a tweet to a government minister recently calling them an absolute disgrace. Yeah, that was last night. So what, what was that about? <coughs> well, um, I stayed down. Normally, I don't stay on a Friday. Uh, there's not many sitting days on a Friday, but they hear private members' bills some Fridays of the year. And John Nicholson, the Eastern Bartonshire MP, SNP MP, um, had come top of the ballot, which meant if you're first out of the ballot, then your private members' bill will be heard and it will be voted on and it could become law. And all he wanted to do was uh, issue a pardon for all the homosexual men who'd been convicted of being homosexual, basically. Mm -hmm over the years. Um, it was to offer a pardon to anyone who was convicted of such an offence that is no longer an offence, right? So as long as it's no longer a criminal act, offer them a pardon. And I think it would have meant so much to so many people whose lives were ruined simply because they, you know, loved somebody who was the same sex as them. And it seems crazy in this day and age, but there are men alive today who really struggled through life um, because of that. So, aye. Oh, well, basically what happened was sometimes in these private members' bills, a backbencher will get up and just talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. And if it goes beyond half two, um, the, the bill falls, you're not allowed to vote on it. 
but I've never known, and it's a disgrace, it's called filibustering, and I've never experienced it, and it's a shocking thing, but I've never known or heard of a government minister doing it, and it was the minister, the justice minister, who did it this time. And it wasn't even because he doesn't want this pardon to happen, it's because he wants his government to amend an existing piece of legislation rather than take John Nicholson's bill. What's that all about? Yeah, that's kind of partisan, isn't it? So they're willing to... Uh -huh. And like you're saying, many of these men are, are elderly and stuff. By the time the machine gets around to addressing this issue, if it ever will, um, what does that mean What does that mean for them? Yeah. No, they said they're going to do it. I think the, the bill that they're talking about is coming up next week. So they said they're going to do it then. But the difference between what John Nicholson was offering, and, and I would encourage anybody uh, who's interested to go on to Parliament Live or the Westminster website and, and listen to John Nicholson's speech because it was beautiful. It was just a work of art. It was so uh, meaningful. It was interesting to hear him as a gay man talking about when he grew up in the west of Scotland and he went to church and Sunday school and he prayed and prayed and prayed not to be gay because it really wasn't the thing you did then. Um, and that was quite heartbreaking to hear that, to know that he went through that as a child. Um, but, you know, he had this great opportunity and, you know, in memory of all the people who've passed away and for all those people living now who suffered this, he really just wanted to do something to help them. And the difference between his bill and what the government are proposing is that his bill would have given a blanket pardon to all men who are deceased now and all men who are still alive, the government's doesn't, who had been convicted of a crime that's no longer a crime. So the government want to give a pardon to people who've died, but not to living people, but it will allow them to apply for a pardon, which I would have thought is right, really unwieldy, quite a costly exercise, but the point John Nicholson was making was most of these men are elderly now. Some of them never told their existing families of their past. Some of them w went through life being ashamed of the, being homosexual. Well, it was a crime, you know, so it was, yeah. it was, it was socially unacceptable yeah. in, many, in many ways. So, so they're not going to go through all this, you know, application. Apparently you've got to go through seven different stages. They're not going to do it. Um, so they won't get their pardon. So we should just offer them a pardon. Now, the only argument the government put up against John Nicholson's bill is they said... What if somebody was convicted of one of those crimes and that crime took place with somebody who was underage? Um, and, and I thought that was just a shocking, shocking attempt to conflate homosexuality with paedophilia mm -hmm. because John's bill, and he made this point and Joanna Cherry made this point very eloquently, his bill says if something is no longer a crime. Well, having sex with an underage person under the age of 16 is a crime, so it would not apply to them. You know, so I thought that was pretty shocking. Um, but there are people who were convicted of having sex with an underage person who happened to be 20 years of age, and they should not still be suffering for it today. Yeah, it's just criminalisation of the whole sector of society, and like you're saying, if someone's elderly, I mean, I, I don't want to fill in like three forms, and I'm 34, do you know what I mean? So can you mm. imagine if you're, you've moved on from that, it's been a shameful episode maybe in your life, mm -hmm. even though it shouldn't have been, but yeah. you know, society looked at it that way. Um, why not just give it to them? Like, what? But yeah, it's kind of disgraceful, the whole idea of filibustering is disgusting, because it's a sort of motion of no opinion, mm. either be for it or against it, but don't just kind of walk in the long grass for, for a, what is basically a party political reason, rather than having... It was awful, and we were all, I mean, we were all shouting, um, just telling him how shameful he was being, because 
if he'd have stopped a minute earlier, we could have had a vote on it. But the problem with that is that we would have won the vote. Mm -hmm. John Nicholson's bill would have gone mm -hmm. through. Um, yeah, just ugh, despicable. And again, for everyone listening, then that ultimately was the fact that this could have happened, but it didn't happen because it was an SNP member of parliament who put it forward. So that was. Well, I can't think of any other reason for them to have done that. I mean, they were the ones that called him when when he came out top of the ballot. In other words, when it became clear that his private members' bill could be uh, it could become statute. Um, they, the Tory government called him in and said, would you be interested in, in doing this bill? And of course he was interested, you know, as a gay man himself. Uh, would you be interested in this? There'll be no tricks and no games from us. And then what did they do yesterday? I mean, it was just, a, I think it was the day before they said, no, we're not supporting this. We're going to, we're just going to amend a bill ourselves. No tricks and no games. I mean, it was, it was pretty low I mean, down stuff. And it shows that it's, it's, an, it's, a not a, it's not a party political issue. This is a human mm. rights issue. Yeah. And so, I mean, why would, of course that would be, you would want that if you, this is a human rights issue and mm. cross-party support, you would hope to get most yeah. people in it. So Yes, and the sad. Tory government do support it. Mm -hmm. That's the thing. There's consensus across the party. We support it. I mean, I have to say, there were other MPs, there were Tory MPs, and there were Labour MPs who made great speeches. I really like the Tories that told their justice minister, sorry about this, but you're wrong, don't be ridiculous. And they would have voted with us, but they didn't get the chance. And uh, uh, Chris Bryant, the Labour MP, he, I would watch his speech as well. If you've only got time for one, watch John Nicholson's, because it's absolutely fantastic. Particularly the bit where he declares that the SNP is the gayest party in the world. <laughs> <laughs> it's just really funny. But, um, but if you've got time to watch his and Chris Bryant's, Chris was pretty emotional. Um, and he had to stop a couple of times. And, and it's nice to see people that you have thought of previously as a bit of a career politician, perhaps unfairly, mm -hmm. but it's nice to see them talking about something that clearly matters a lot to them. And yeah. Yeah, a moment of a moment where an issue is really genuine for a person, irrespective of Chris Bryant. I mean, about any politician, when you can tell mm -hmm. it comes from the heart, not just because yeah. it's something to be done. Yeah. Um, also talking about kind of parliamentary process there was an, apparently an interesting get together between Labour and the SNP recently <laughs> yeah what well when Keith Vaz stood down as the chair of the Home Affairs Select Committee every select committee has a chairperson and um, if the parties are told you know like so the Labour Party is chairing the Home Affairs Select Committee this year this session whatever so it had to be a Labour person um, so four of them put themselves forward, but one at the very last minute was Paul Flynn. Um, prior to that, we knew for weeks that Yvette Cooper was going for it, that Chuka Amuna was going for it, and that Caroline Flint was going for it. And uh, yeah, well, they were approaching lots of us. They, each of them were approaching us wanting their support because they realised that the SNP has a chunk of votes there. Um, and I think they were each hoping that we would all agree that as a, a team, we would all vote for the one person, but uh, and it would be them. But we ended up having to have a hustings, which is interesting. Mm. So I chaired the hustings, um, where each of them put forward their pitch and then answered questions from SNP MPs. <laughs> that was quite interesting. <laughs> Did you make them dance for you a little bit, was it? Uh, well, well, uh, now I personally didn't, but Martin Doherty Hughes <laughs> asked them, I think it was Martin, it was either him or Ronnie Cowan, who asked what their views were on, um, sorry, I'm going to start laughing now because Tinkerbell just jumped on you. And just, yeah, I got, I got, I got some <laughs> um, jaggy claws in my legs there, Tinkerbell. Yeah, oh, she's on, oh, on the she's table. Oh, now she's on her way over to yep. me, right? 
beat it, Tinkerbell. Um, right, sorry, uh, where were we? <laughs> you were saying, um, Mar is it Martin, Martin Doherty yeah. Hughes or Ronnie Cowan, one of them, asked about, uh, you know, Police Scotland has to, can't claim back the VAT that it pays, yep. which is worth millions, right? But every other police force in the land can. Mm -hmm. um, so asked if they would support us when we call for uh, Police Scotland to be able to claim back the VAT. And of course, none of them had been aware of this before, mm -hmm. so they were like, uh, yeah. They, they all wanted to, so they're all like, yeah, yeah, that sounds terrible. Yeah, we'll support that. So Scottish it, independence, are you up for I that? Uh, yeah. Um. <laughs> well, I actually made the point when I was thanking them at the end, I made the point that, you know, we should be working more closely together. And we do in certain circumstances, but, but it's individual MPs work with each other. We should be working more closely together as parties down there against the Tories because we agree on so much. Mm -hmm. And I was saying, you know, uh, we don't expect you to support Scottish independence and you obviously can't expect us to support remaining in the union. But out with that, there's an awful lot that we could be doing together. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so we didn't ask them to support that. But I have to say, yes, I, you know, if I were them, I would have said, I don't know enough about this. I'll look into it, but I'm not going to promise to... But there you go, they all promised to. So that's it. Yvette Cooper, who's now the chair of the Home Affairs Select Committee, <laughs> and um, Chuka Amuna and uh, Caroline Flint are all going to support the SNP when they claim that Police Scotland should be able to claim back their VAT. I look, for I look forward to that. Did you get them to sign anything to that effect? <laughs> no, no, we no, didn't record it either, no. but they definitely said it. They definitely <laughs> said it. Um, also, apparently Parliament's going to get a new MP after the murder of Joe Cox. Oh, Obviously, there's a new yeah. MP coming in for Batley. Um, and you're quite excited about the, the, this, this new Member of Parliament that's going to come in? Well, I know. Um, call me shallow, but, you know, this is the actress Tracy. And I don't know if it's Brabin or Braben, but anyway, um, the important thing is she was in Coronation Street and she was amazing at Coronation Street. Then she was in EastEnders and I think she's been in Emmerdale as well. Um, so anyone that's been in Coronation Street has got my vote. Uh, obviously not <laughs> if she was standing in Scotland. Yes. But yeah, after Joe Cox was murdered, it was agreed that in the by-election the big parties wouldn't stand. The smaller parties yeah. still did. Shame on them. Um, and uh, Tracy got elected, so I guess she'll be getting sworn in next week. And uh, I'm going to make myself known to her because she's been in Coronation Street. But also because I like a lot of the stuff that she says. And um, I heard that she said, we've lost Scotland and we won't win it back. And I thought, do you know, I thought I couldn't like you anymore. But <laughs> like how, She's got a real level of insight. <laughs> yeah. A real level of insight. And also, I suppose, that's, I mean, that's your retirement plan, isn't it? To, yeah. to get on Coronation Street. So you're going to yes. get some tips off or see how you can get onto that. Yes. Well, I said in my maiden speech, I never wanted to be a politician. I wanted to be in Coronation Street and I've not lost hope. So, yeah, Tracy and I, whether she likes it or not, are going to become friends. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the other thing to say is that my understanding is that her and Joe Cox were good friends. Right. So I think it's going to be a really emotional thing for her and, and for everybody in the Labour Party, mm -hmm. obviously. Actually, for all of us, but, but more so for them, obviously. But for her, it's going to be a real, oh, really strange feeling. And, and I, hope, I hope she... Yeah. I'm sure she will make the most of it. And, and like we're saying, if, if there's a previous relationship there and there's some more in many ways, then hopefully it'll provide continuity for our constituents yeah. who are, are sort of getting a continuation of Joe's work, hopefully. Yes, and I know that some of the Labour MPs nearby, I know certainly uh, Holly Lynch um, has been working and representing those constituents in 
you know, the absence of having an MP. So I know they've kind of got together and and supported that. So that's great. Hopefully they'll manage to mm -hmm. just focus on their own constituencies now. Now, just before we started recording, you said that you had a, quote, fruitless trip to London. Ugh. So what happened then? No fruit? <laughs> right. So the week before last, I thought, do you know what? I've got loads of constituency things on. I've been invited to loads of things. I keep having to say no Monday to Thursday. I'd really like to say yes to some of these things. Um, so I asked the whip, are there any crucial votes this week? And he said no. And I said, can I just work in, can I just work in the constituency? And he said, yes, no problem. Obviously, we wouldn't get away with it all the time, but from time to time, um, he's really keen for us to spend more time in the constituency. So that was brilliant. And also brilliant because I get to sleep in my own bed of a night and I don't have to leave Tinkerbell, who's currently <laughs> purring away in my arms as we speak, aren't you, Tinkerbell? So I was really pleased. And then um, on the Tuesday, we all got an email from the Chief Whip saying there's going to be a crucial vote on Brexit. Labour had an opposition day debate on Brexit. It was going to result in a vote and, you know, we can't mm -hmm. talk the talk and not walk the yep. walk, so we had to be there to vote. So this was Tuesday afternoon, we were told we had to be there to vote on the Wednesday. Um, so I, the only way to get there and back, and I had to cancel some of the things in the constituency, the only way to get there and back was to fly, and I don't normally fly. It was the cheapest flights I could get, but it meant going to Gatwick, which is a pain. But anyway... 13.45 hours, the flight took off. 13.47 hours, Mike, our chief whip, was told by Labour that it wasn't going to vote anymore and emailed us all and said, it's all right. Those of you that thought you had to vote tonight or thought you couldn't go to things, you can go now, there's no vote. Don't you worry. <laughs> you people yeah. at this point 10,000 feet off the ground. <laughs> Don't worry. I think what he really meant was dear Anne, because everybody else was down there. Right? Right, okay. So this was two minutes after the flight took off. Obviously, I'm not on emails at that point. And even so, I could hardly say to the pilot, could you just go back down again? Oh, and I couldn't believe it. And Mike, our chief whip, was really apologetic. But I was saying, it's not your fault. It's this blooming system. It just wouldn't happen like that in the Scottish Parliament. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, so I got down there and I just used my time to write a couple of early day motions, handed them in and then flew back up the road. That must have been a really gutting phone beep when you arrive. Oh, oh, I just, oh yeah, I felt crushed. Well, I was more upset because there was so much that I could have been doing work-wise that day. And instead it just threw me. Also, um, I forgot to post my sister's birthday present. Mm. Um, so she got it a day late, but I think she quite liked it. And before we go, I just want to say that our local branch is hosting a fundraiser night at Halloween. Mm -hmm. Now, for podcast purposes, you don't know this, so I'm going to tell you about it. Um, <laughs> there'll be live comedy, a well-stocked bar, and I've heard that fancy dress is optional. It's on the 20th of October and is in the Craig Park Master Snooker Club in Deniston. And if you're interested, check out the link, I'll stick it in the show notes, or search for Proven SNP on Facebook and Twitter. And, big question, are you going to be there? Of course! Are you going to go in fancy dress? Well, I suit a witch's outfit, which will come as no surprise to some people. Who, <laughs> yeah, it will come as no surprise to some people. So, yeah, I'm probably coming as a witch. Brilliant, I, but I'm, a funny one. A funny one. I'm I'm currently accidentally dressed as a faded Union Jack. So I might, <laughs> I might come along. You're not getting in. No, we're getting in. Um, yeah, so definitely come along. So, Proven fundraiser. There'll be comedy. There'll be drink. 
and there'll be Andress as a witch. So yeah, Aye. come along. But I do think the tickets are limited, so I think you've got to get your ticket beforehand, yes. or at least if you decide at the last minute, get in touch to see if there's tickets left because it's quite an intimate venue. Yes, that's true. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, no, I think it'll be great, and I think we'll raise a whole lot of money. But I think it'll be really funny. Yeah, it'll definitely be a laugh. So that, that's a good shout. So yeah, if you search for the thing, get in contact um, if you're going to buy in the door, but just let them know that you're coming. And anyway, that's us at the end of another episode of Parliamental. Then. No. I know, we're on this so regularly as well. Tinkerbell's gutted. Tinkerbell is sleeping. Um, <laughs> if you'd like to get in touch with the show, you can contact us on Twitter at Parliamental Pod, on Facebook, search for Parliamental, and via email at parliamentalpodcast at gmail.com. Again, subscribe to us on iTunes and leave a review if you like the show. And I'll return on a fortnight with another episode, because we're back now. Yes, we're back. We're back for real. We're back. Anyway, so thanks for listening, everyone. Bye. Bye.